Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kurt, for a, another week of PBT Extra, we're getting off the close arm. I mean, it's like right around yeah. the corner. Basketball's almost here. I could smell it. The, the autumn leaves are in New York. Like, I walked by Central Park um, the other day, and I actually saw yellow leaves. <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> uh, you know, how, how is the fall going for you right now? Yeah, it's, it's I'm in Southern California. The seasons are, are muted, shall we say. It's all kind of – there was actual – you know, there was some rain, so, you know, I guess we're going to call that fall, but – uh, it's a, it's getting, look, I just, I like it when it's a little cooler. So it, I'm enjoying that. And just kind of, like I've said before, like there's just a rhythm to the fall that, that just isn't there for me in the summer when there's no games and my kids are all home and it's, it's great, but it's just different. Now it's back into the, the rhythm of the season and trying to find time to watch, you know, the redeem team documentary that I don't know what I'm going to figure out when I'm, when I'm going to watch it now. So. Yeah, it's, it's there's so many things happening like right now in, in New York, the the art world's back in full swing. So like all the there's all these shows, you know, you know, I love art. So there's yeah. all these openings and shows and like Chelsea and I don't know, every sign stuff. And then um, the crazy thing, too, is that uh, the the opera is like back in full swing. So I was just walking around, you know, it's like I said, perfect fall weather. You have your, your sweater, your trench coat walking around New York City. And I, I just showed up to the opera. You can just show up there and buy tickets. Like oh, day. nice. Oh, yeah, I didn't know this. Did you know that? Was that thing? No, I, I, I assumed getting like the into the Met would be hard or getting into no. any of it. Like, and, and the one New York thing on my bucket list, because I'm a jazz fan, is is whether it's with Wynton Marcellus or whoever's next, is, is seeing the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra someday in Lincoln Center. Oh, like, yeah. That is high on my list of I've got to get that as soon as I – as soon as I win the lottery and have money and time. <laughs> no, it's a must. Yeah. So I, w- I went over to, you know, because right, the, the Metropolitan Opera is right next, you know, I don't know if you've seen the movie Moonstruck, but like yeah. the, the fountain, the lights, it's right next to Juilliard. Yeah. You know, it's so cool. So, I, you know, you, you see the fountain, the lights, you just walk up like 30 minutes before showtime, you go to the box office counter, get a ticket. It's like 40 bucks, um, which, you know, in opera prices is actually pretty crazy. That's not, that's really good. Yeah. Really good. Because in Chicago, when I was living there for a brief spell, I went to the opera just to see how much it would cost. Hundred dollars for the cheapest ticket. Yeah, that's that's, you know, that's what LA is. That's I yeah, mean, it's crazy. I've gone before, but I remember paying about a hundred dollars a ticket or more. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I saw my day and it was awesome. So, I, I am all pro fall. It's wonderful. Uh, I can finally wear my my Letterman jacket for Notre Dame again. But you know, <laughs> we we have since we're right around the corner, we're knocking really uh, on the door of basketball present army. It's yeah. Next week, season starts. We're in the middle of preseason. The biggest story that you know I want to bring to your attention right now is what's happening in Golden State. This is concerning, I would say, to say the least. Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole, stepping away from the team for a time. It looks as though he's ready to join the team for you know right. opening uh, tip to the start of the season. 
but as far as the damage done to the Warriors culture coming off of a championship, uh, what is undoubtedly one of the greatest dynasties in basketball history, what does this do uh, to that 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 um, that tarnish or, or that, that burnish around the, the trophy that is Golden State? I don't know that it burnishes the trophies, but like it does change them going forward. I think a lot. It feels like, at least, and tell me if you get this same sense. My sense is, hey, we and, and Steve Kerr used the word equity a few times. Like, hey, we've got four championships that we don't win without this guy, and and we're not even getting to the fifth one. He might have, he not might have, he cost them with that penalty against uh, LeBron back in 2016, but. I think that equity has been used up. Doesn't it feel like, all right, Draymond, no, just a fine, no suspension. We're bringing you back in the fold, but you're on double secret probation now or whatever you want to call it, right? Like, like he doesn't get another screw up, especially a guy who is coming to the end of a contract, right? Like, I, doesn't it feel like different? It does feel a little different. I agree with you. And, and I think the word equity or the word trust, you know, you also see yeah. also use the word trust. Um, the trust has been broken. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's a pretty interesting, because when you think about, obviously, Steph Curry is the, the DNA of that team, clearly. But Draymond's like a very important part of the emotional heartbeat of that team. And if the trust has been broken in that sense, I, I would think that's pretty concerning uh, for this season. I would agree. I've, I'm curious how they bounce back. This is another case, though, where I think that they can get through adversity. I like, I'm not sure how the Nets will handle adversity, right? Like, you've got teams where you're just not sure. I think they can do it, but if Draymond crosses the line, it just feels like things are more fragile than they were before. Like, they're just, they just really can't take another blow. Yeah. And when I think about the, the future of Golden State, because you're right, I think we're at a pretty interesting moment here. Jordan Poole's up for a new contract, and so is Draymond Green. You yeah. think about that core that has been together for a decade plus, that won all those championships. What does the next generation look like? That, to me, is where it matters as far as the trust is broken. Because in theory, what would happen is maybe you know what happened in San Antonio where you have one stable piece, which is Tim Duncan over 20 years, right? And he teaches everybody, right? And this is what this is what it like, what it, this is what it means to be part of the San Antonio culture. And then you have Tony and Manu and Kawhi, everyone kind of follow suit. Um, what, what's fascinating to me here is what we see kind of a rupture as far as, well, what happens going forward for the young, the young players who will inherit the Warriors? You know, Jordan Poole's Warriors, you know, the uh, Kaminga's Warriors, you know, Wiseman's Warriors. How will they uh, yeah. think about the culture moving forward? I think it's a really good question. And I think, by the way, the contract subtext thing – I know everybody with the Warriors publicly and privately played that down, but I just, I can't believe that that didn't factor in. Jordan Poole, by the time we talk again next week, Corey, and do our next podcast and video, I I would bet he has a new contract. Hmm. I would bet that he has something close to what Tyler Hero just got at $30 million a year over four years. I think that that's now the market for him. I would be surprised if he doesn't get that. But then where does that go? Where does that look? They've said that they can't really afford to extend Draymond and Wiggins and Poole at the prices they want and stay, even for the ridiculous amount of money the Warriors are spending, um, <laughs> that they can't really go there. 
So who's the odd? It, it, there's a sense around the league that somebody, the chair, the music's going to stop and someone's not going to have a chair. It's not going to be pool at 24. Yeah. But is it, do they just take, if they think Wiggins is consistent this year, do they go there and say, Draymond, you're going to have to take a pay cut to stay? Or is, I, I'm curious how much this impacts that decision down the line, as opposed to, I mean, Steph Curry is still performing, but they gave Steph Curry the five-year max and they ate. Maybe he's not the same guy at the end of that, but you, you don't care. You'll, you'll pay Steph Curry for past performance, and he'll still fill the building, and, and you'll be happy. I don't think they feel that way about Draymond. This is where you start getting into, well, this this is the cuts to the bone. You know, I don't know if you ever yeah. got – one time I, I accidentally well, – this is stupid. One time I accidentally uh, cut myself with Samurai Sword. Don't ask me this story. I was playing Food Ninja. <laughs> hey, that's a story for another day, though, I do. <laughs> for another day, different podcast. But my hand was split open and I could like see my, like, I mean, it was, it was, I, it was like a horror film. I could actually, it was like Halloween, right? I could actually see like my, my tendons, my muscles. Like it was like the, it was disgusting, right? I'd never seen a cut that deep before. And that's kind of where what, what we're, we're inching towards as, you know, in terms of, okay, well, what do you mean to our franchise? As an aging player who's a core member of our dynasty, but not Steph, not named Steph Curry. You know, and I think you're going to start seeing uh, the reality of, like you said, either drastic pay cuts to stay a part of this team or, you know, because you think about Andrew Wiggins. I think he's earned, you know, a very sizable contract the past two years. He's been yeah. unbelievably consistent and accepted that role and has been essential to them being successful. You know, Clay Thompson, you know, it probably he's definitely more you know, in a safer position than, than Draymond. I think out of the three, yeah. Draymond is the most expendable. And when you start talking about Poole's contract and, you know, Wiseman, and I think once again, you have a little more space with Wiseman because he's been injured and he's still young. So you can probably, you're more flexible there. This is starting to get very clear where, where which direction they're going to move it in the future as far as, you know, to the bone, what do you bring to our franchise? No, I agree. And I, I it's going to be interesting to watch them develop over the years and, and see who steps. This is a big year for Kaminga. I'm, I trust Moses Moody is going to be good. I'm, I'm weirdly not worried about him, but his role will step up. I think it's a big year for Wiseman. I think that ultimately they want him to take over for Kevon Looney, but Kevon Looney has been rock solid for them on the court. And then, you, I mean, if you watched Kerr speak yesterday, he said Looney's kind of been their emotional center through this whole thing and been very mature. And, and he had nothing but praise for how Kevon Looney stepped up as a team leader in this situation. That's that's a hard thing to get rid of, and it's it's asking a lot of James Wiseman to suddenly step in and just supplant him. Yeah, I think I think he's kind of one of those guys where you, you think Looney is one of those guys where you don't really underestimate you don't understand his value until you yeah. take him out of the equation, you know. Yeah. And then you start thinking, oh wow, this is more than just stats, right? Like, and that's kind of what I think Coach Kerr was talking about because if you read any of you know these comments or you watch the team over the past few years, Looney is one of uh, he, he just keeps coming up. <laughs> like everyone keeps talking about how important he is to this team. And I'm looking at the stats. I watch the games. I'm like, it doesn't seem like he's, you know, impacting the game at like, a, let's say, you know, let's say another big guy, like a Rudy Gobert level, you know? Right. But, but it's still, it, his impact, I think is, it's kind of like two plus two equals 10. Um, yeah. So that, that's a very interesting point, Kurt. One thing I, I want to talk about uh, just briefly before we move on is the, the juxtaposition of what we've seen with Draymond and what we're seeing in college football and in and, and, and the NFL. Devonta Adams shoved somebody after Monday Night Football recently, and he got charged with a misdemeanor assault for a violent shove. The guy fell down, right? 
Um, I don't know if you've seen that video. I have seen that video. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. hard to miss. Yeah. And then, and then you saw um, recently uh, Tennessee's safety, Jalen McCullough, was arrested on a felony charge uh, where he punched somebody. Uh, this is reportedly he assaulted a man at uh, an apartment, com apartment complex, punched him, fell down, and he was bleeding, right? The guy was, fell down a flight of stairs and was bleeding. And it's a, a felony assault charge. So if you've watched the video of, you know, Draymond punching Jordan Poole, you know, it's definitely more violent than Devontae Adams' shove. And it looks as though, you know, it's like right up there with what, what McCullough did with this guy. Is This is why I think the, the leak for the TMZ video was so, uh, why the Warriors wanted to investigate it so thoroughly and why they were so passionate about trying to, to keep it quiet because that video, that footage, I mean, that borders on criminal, which is like, I mean, this is not just like a, you know, like a, a scuffle in practice. I think that's one of the reasons why I immediately stepped away. And and so that the juxtaposition of those two instances um, really paint this into a different light for me, Kurt. Yeah. As, as a former police beat reporter, I would say that one key difference is that uh, the guy pushed by Adams filed charges. Obviously, Poole did not. In fact, he was out shooting free throws after the, you know, still shooting when the media came in after that event and, and didn't know. So he didn't press it. And I think that's part of it. I think, by the way, the other thing, and I'd be curious to get your opinion on this, is that the other reason I think the team really reacted to that video on top of the potential criminal stuff is that they felt their space was violated, right? Like, the, hey, the practice is ours. The media is not in there. There's, you know, This is our space, our time. And to have that go public, they felt like something private of theirs was pushed out into into the light when it shouldn't have been. And I, I'm curious because obviously you've been at a lot of high level practices. That's a space. Football's a little different because I think there tends to be media around. There tends to be just more people around than the kind of closed gym practices you get in the NBA. But is that a private space for them? Do they feel that this is, they've been robbed of that, that kind of space? Yeah. I mean, practices, I mean, people are very, you know, touchy around practice and, you know, trade secrets and all that yeah. stuff, you know, generally speaking, but you also think, you know, you especially in this environment where you're a professional athlete, everything you do is 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 under a magnifying glass and yeah. scrutinized. That there, you, you would hope that there is one kind of like sacred place where you can just go and work on, you know, just work yeah. like this is your job. So just go to practice and do your do your job. And so I do understand that in, in the sense of what you're saying, as far as like it's a private space, a sacred space for people. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day for me. I don't think there's any sort of place for that kind of violence. Yeah. Um, and that, that's whether it be in a sacred place or not, like I, to be yeah. that, that is not okay uh, whatsoever. Um, and so that, that's kind of where I fall on the issue. No, I think he, he absolutely crossed the line. That was a, that was a violent punch meant to intended to hurt. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't the, Hey, we're bumping chests. We're pushing, waiting for guys to separate us. So we're not really fighting fight. That was, that was intentional. And I think that that, and I think, you know, one of the things you heard was a lot of the Warriors, if you watch the video, I mean, they're practicing. Like Curry's got his back turned to this whole thing because they're, they're running sets on the court. I don't think a lot of the team realized how violent the act was until they saw the video. And I think that changed the dynamic a little bit. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to like to say about this is I think we forget about what the NBA used to be. You know, I don't know if you remember, like, you know, the NBA in the 80s and 90s where it seems like people were getting their fights. You look at those highlights, it's like everyone just throwing punches like that on the court, like in during an NBA game. Yeah. And I think David Stern worked really hard to get that out of the NBA. 
Um, so we saw a little bit of like a, a reversion to what the NBA used to be with Mouse in the Palace. Do you remember that? I mean, that was. So, I, yeah. So and, and that was not the only one where fans were involved, sadly. So in fact, yeah, but like this, that that kind of uh, violence in the NBA, David Stern, I think, worked really hard to reframe the NBA from you know guys from inner city neighborhoods who maybe categorized you know or typecast as thugs, yeah. you know, to being respectable businessmen who are you know they own media companies, they're winning Oscars and Emmys, like they're you know they're sports personalities and cult, pop culture personalities. So I think that anything around that kind of, any reversion to what, what the NBA used to be, um, I think is like a, is a big no-no uh, just because of that, that history that all of us have like deep in our bones. We remember what it used to be. And I don't think any of us want to go back to that. No, that's a really good. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. So moving forward, there seems to be a... Uh... An interesting battle. Everyone wants the championship, but what about the number one overall pick? <laughs> we, saw, we saw what was tantalizing. Two players, Scoot Henderson, but this is the big one. Victor Winbanyama, who, I mean, people were calling him like an alien. <laughs> They're yeah. calling him like super rare, 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 elite talent. He's super young, 7'4", can handle the ball, block shots, making three-pointers at like Steph Curry clips. He, he made seven three-pointers out of 11. Yeah. At seven, four, you see him playing the game. Like <laughs> he's waving people off, you know, yeah. dribbling people up and then pulling up, uh, you know, square, crossing people up and then pulling up three or four feet outside the three-point line as a seven-four player. Have you ever seen anyone like this? No, no, and nobody has. I think that that's the funny thing. You listen to people try to come up with comps and they're like, well, maybe a better Ralph Sampson, like, you know, what if we, what if you took Kevin uh, Durant and grew him four inches? Like it's really tough to come up with good comps because what got me, what I thought was really impressive was like in the first game, they run a little side pick and roll, not, you know, um, sort of an elbow extended pick and roll for him. He's a seven, four guy handling the ball in a pick and roll. The guard, the guy guarding him goes under the pick and goes, all right, I'll just shoot and drains it. Like just, it is a smooth, effortless motion. He had a leaner in the corner on one play in transition. Um, it was, I'm not a scout and the scouts and the people I do know were kind of like everybody, some of them had seen him, but seeing him in person against a good level of competition, that is a, that is a good G league Ignite team um, really turned heads. He is, there's, like you said, it, it's not only the offense and the things we're talking about, he blocked a lot of shots. He altered a lot more. He is one of those really – at 7'4 with a 7'11 wingspan. He is just in the vicinity, changing everything, able to cover ground, moves I, – I guess part of it is basically – I just don't remember, Corey, ever seeing a big, a 7'4 guy that fluid, like move that well. Yeah, I mean, it's like the French pterodactyl. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Five blocks. <laughs> it's like shooting seven, shooting seven three-pointers. Uh, the thing about him, though, when I was watching him, yeah, he moves well, but it's like it looks almost deceptive how, like, you know, it's it's like yeah. 
it, it's funny that I would love to see him in person because it looks like on tape he looks very slow. But yeah. you know, he's also like like you said, he's more he glides, I should say. You know, yeah. like I said, I, I think the French pterodactyl is probably like a decent, you know, metaphor or nickname for how he glides around the floor. And I, I remember this one uh, this one shot he had. So basically he squared somebody up and he the guy came over to help, another defender came over to help. He takes a jab step, fade away into the, the baseline. Yeah. I mean, this is like a 20-foot fadeaway jumper, nothing but the bottom of the net. And I'm thinking that's like a Kobe Bryant move. You know, like that's, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't see a 7-4 guy doing that. Squaring somebody up, jab, step, fade away, turn around, fade away jumper at 18, 20 feet. That's scary. Because think about who – that's the thing that made Kevin Durant you know, indefensible is that no one can block a shot. If he gets yeah. to a spot and elevates, who's going to block a 7-foot jump shooter? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's like, it's like yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Skyhook. It's who could who can block that? Uh, and so that's where I was thinking – he has an indefensible move, and this is still early in his career. Yeah, I, I, would say, I was thinking Dirk, too, was the other one oh, with that yeah. one-legged fadeaway where you're like, good luck. Yeah, you, you can't – I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. And I think the other thing that really came out of that, and the reason you're going to see a push for tanking more this year, you're going to see teams jump into this, is Scoot Henderson's good. Scoot Henderson – I now I, – I loathe these kinds of comparisons, but I now had two scouts – that I talked to use the Derek Rose model, like the young mm-hmm. Derek Rose, that level of athleticism and, and more importantly, body control, like just incredible body control, fearlessly going at Wimbayama, uh, got blocked a couple of times, but also got buckets around him a couple of times. Uh, if now, instead of like, oh, well, we've only got a 14% chance under the new lottery guidelines to get first. Yeah, but I've got a 27 or whatever the numbers are, depending on where you land percent chance to get one of those two. And suddenly, suddenly that kind of push to go back just makes more sense. Like, I think you're going to see not only teams that look, there's teams we knew were, you know, Utah clearly targeted this, this year and, and Orlando's going to be entertaining and Houston's going to be entertaining, but they're not going to win a lot of games because they're going to play their youth. But I think Corey, could this be the year we see a good team, a pretty good team who suffers an early injury or just starts slow and have, you know, normally you have to sell your owner on this. They're going to be able to go, you saw Wimbayama, right? <laughs> Let's, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more teams pivot mid-season than we're used to. Yeah. I, um, when, yeah when do you think that pivot happens? Earlier than later this year. I really think sometimes – I think the example is Portland last year, right? They, they were okay. And then once Lillard got hurt and it was – well, the, the stomach issue they, was acting up and it was clear he was just going to be out, they – Hey, we're trading McCollum. We're just we're revamping this thing. I think you're going to see somebody make that kind of move, but I think rather than waiting till the trade deadline, it could be Christmas. It could be like people pivoting way earlier because they're not going to be the only ones, and there's going to be a push to get in the again. The lower your odds, the it, even in the flattened lottery. I think the flattened lottery helps a little bit because you used to think, man, six isn't good enough. Now you're like, eh, I don't know, six is actually going to give me a decent chance. So like, I think it's going to get really interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't know that that's good for the league, by the way, it's going to drive Adam Silver nuts, but I think it's what you're going to see this year just because it's such a crazy year with good prospects. I was reading an article about what Nick Batum thought about um, 
Wimbanyama because he saw him you know, in the French yeah. system. He's had his eyes on him since he was a 14-year-old. Apparently, he called Tony Parker right away. <laughs> it's like, I found the next one, not just for basketball, but I found the next one, period. Like, the hype yeah. that he's you know, taught, thought about uh, Wimbanyama is similar to what Luca you know, generated as far as hype is concerned. Yeah. And uh, I know a, a team in San Antonio that loves French basketball players. And that is <laughs> towards the and, bottom and, of the and, and, and it's not, look, with all due respect to your team, and actually, you know they'll play hard for Popovich. That's, that's not a really good team. I, that's they're going to struggle this year. Your, your Spurs are going to rack up some losses. As much as I like Vassal, I, I think that they've got some nice young players. They're going to be in this mix this year, and it would be very Spursian to get one of those guys and then build an empire around them. One can hope. One, one can hope, one can dream. Uh, so, so now let's kind of pivot over um, to the. This was always one of my favorite parts of the of the show. We talk about fun things that are kind of like a little, you know, a little off kilter, a little off color. It's kind of fun. So when we think about uh, the summer TV schedule, clearly, like you said, your whole family was home, no NBA games. Yeah. Uh, what? What was like? What were you watching? <laughs> that helped. That was like the show of the summer for you. Uh, we watched a few things. Uh, obviously, Stranger Things was kind of a big hit. I think a lot of people saw that. And then we're, we're, we're watching House of Dragons because we were Game of Thrones people. The best thing I saw, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, the best thing I thought I really loved this summer was The Bear, um, which is there's one season of it, uh, one of the guys from Shameless on Hulu, about a kid who is a kid, a chef who has to come back home and take over his father's business Um food business in Chicago, I thought was phenomenal. I, I Part of it maybe was working in restaurants in my past, but um, I I loved it. So that that was really good. And I just, you know, we did that. And well, I mean, the thing is, you're not a guy who, I'm curious what you watch because you don't watch a lot of television. You've been doing films lately. Yeah, I've been deep in the film world. I mean, I've been like art house, movie house, you know, because it's just so, I do this thing called Criterion Collection. It's Criterion Channel. It's like a Netflix, but for art movies. Okay. And it has been one of the greatest things this summer for me. I mean, I've had it for a couple of years, but this summer I really leaned in hard. So I watched last week, I watched five Alfred Hitchcock movies. Ooh. Uh, yeah. And uh, my favorite out of them were, I mean, I love Rear Window, but uh, my favorite one was um, The 39 Steps. Like and foreign correspondent was really like a cool concept too. But just like watching these classic movies, I've been watching a, a ton of Hitchcock because I think it's so fascinating. Like the the idea of like, well, how do you build suspense in music? I think one of the best suspense builders is James Brown. And I mean, I, there was a time when I only listened to James Brown for like an entire summer, for like three months. I like only listened to James Brown. And the way that he can make you groove for 13 minutes, like a song will go on for 13 minutes, Kurt. But then he'll end it like on the one beat and like 13 minutes and one second. And you'll like, wait, why'd you cut the music off? Like keep playing. <laughs> I was in the middle of my dance. And that's what I love about him is like he always builds suspense, but he's generous. And Hitchcock's like that too. The movie will end in the last 60 yeah. seconds of the film. Like you have to watch it until the last minute. And I love that. It's like every every film is like a two-minute drill or every film comes down to the last shot, like Michael Jordan taking the last shot. It's pretty great. I not only am a Hitchcock fan, but also – one of the things we did a little this summer, um, my wife got and daughter got to do a little more because high school graduation, and they went to Europe for a while uh, when I during the middle of summer league and free agency when I when I could not go. Um, but travel is kind of 
my fix now. It's like what I want. But when we were going up and down uh, up the California coast a few years ago, we went to the town where they filmed. Like you can see the house from birds. Wow. And there is, you can go like see some of the sets and some of that sets, but some of the uh, houses and some of the stuff they used um, up, up in central California uh, on the coast. And uh, there's even like a bird cafe there where you can go in and stuff. it's all movie themed cafe up there, but it was, uh, it was, I love doing that kind of stuff. I like exploring cities and going places. You know, we got to go to Mexico all of the summer. I travel is my new, it's, it's frankly one of the, my favorite parts of this job is I don't know how much I would have time I would have gotten in, in even like Cleveland or some of these places that, Hey, LeBron's good. I'm going to be in Cleveland a lot. It's easy, you know, San Francisco I'd been to, but like some of these places, San Antonio was a place I had not gotten to explore until the job. Like, I love going to cities, walking around them, getting them to try them out. So like tr- that, getting to do a little traveling this summer was good. Hopefully next summer we'll get to do a little more. There's a, there's this really great um, show, by the way, just there's like, I don't know if it's a great show. It was entertaining. But there's this movie where it talks about these two guys who just go. That's like the whole point of the movie is like they just a guy has to write an article about food and he just brings his friend and just goes to Italy and goes to Spain and they just like go have fun and go to dinner and just talk. Uh, but in the NBA version of that, you know, which is which is really fascinating, is kind of like those uh, Coach Popovich um, wine dinners, you oh, know, yeah. like where you're just like on the road and like you know you go play in Philly, you go play in LA, and then go to a great dinner and just have you know great conversations, just basketball related, and you know learn from all your international teammates. That'd be pretty sweet um, if that was a show. Anyone's yeah. out there like you know development for movies or TV shows, that would be cool. And then the other one I think would be really sweet is uh, there's some NBA players who back in the day, this is back in the '90s, Kurt, when they're great art collectors. And when I say great art collectors, I'm not talking about art collectors who you know collect like trendy stuff. Uh, I'm talking about great art collectors who, you know, understand the game um, and study the history and they build like thoughtful collections. They would go around and uh, take rookies and young guys with them to different art um, museums, every every city they'd go to. So instead of going out to the clubs or going out to, you know, all these places that probably would you know be dangerous for a young rookie, they would these guys would take the young players or go themselves to different museums uh, or go visit different artist studios and they would start collecting that way which I think was a, is a really brilliant way to start collecting art and seeing artists around the country. Isn't fashion more that thing now? Like the guys, it's about the fits and about the clothes, which I know you're also following far more closely than I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, it, is, it is a lot about the fits. You know, now you see people in like Paris Fashion Week in the off season and yeah. stuff, um, which is, like I said, you know, to each their own, but I, I fall more into the whole, you know, like the either the, the San Antonio wine dinners <laughs> or, <laughs> or the uh, the art collection stuff. Hey, I'll go to Paris, man. If you want to send me to Paris, I'm good at that. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, let's talk to Dan, our super producer. Can we, can we set that up, Dan? Uh, let, let's yeah. send the pod. Let's do you the know, pod Paris Fashion Week. You know what we got to pitch? I, you and I both need to cover the Maui Invitational in person. I just I think that that's the only way we can really get a good look at these guys. See, now we're now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> now we're cooking with gas. For all the NBA news, articles, and more, check us out at NBCSports.com slash NBA. And uh, along with NBA starting up uh, next week, uh, we're actually going to go back to weekly episodes, Kurt. Yes, so I can't wait that. to talk to you every week instead of every other week.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.